0: Will you turn back with me to Acts chapter 16, where we were just reading a moment ago? Well, this section of Scripture that that Daphne led us in reading uh, earlier, it is is an um, action-packed, suspense-filled account of this mission team's time in the city of Philippi on their second mission trip. Uh, It comes right on the heels of Lydia and her household uh, coming to trust in Christ as Savior. But in this passage here, we learn that life on mission for Jesus, uh, it has both ups and downs. And that's true, isn't it? These verses here ask us this question this morning. What will you do when you're in that valley, when you're in one of those down moments? Will your faith-filled response uh, to the trials and tribulations in life uh, will it be a gospel declaration of how precious Jesus is to you? Will your response be used by God to turn what is a mess into a message? Will your test become a testimony? Because that's what happened here, but it happened here because of Paul and Silas's response to their test. Before we study this passage verse by verse, let's ask God to bless our time together in his word. Father, we come to your word this morning needing your Holy Spirit, who is present in the lives of every single person here who's trusting in Jesus Christ as Savior, who's indwelling us. Lord, I pray he'd be filling us as we come to your word, and that he'd have completely unobstructed uh, capacity to illuminate the truth we have here. This is so much more than a historical account of what happened on that second mission trip in the city of Philippi. Um, we, there's so much here for us to learn and apply to our lives uh, because just like Paul and Silas, um, we have tests and we want them to be a testimony. Um, sometimes we find ourselves in messes in life, but there's nothing more beautiful than when we can be used uh, by you to proclaim a message in that mess. So God, I pray that we would learn to respond just like Paul and Silas did here, that we might see what they got to see. Somebody come to trust in Jesus as Savior um, because they were faithful and they responded to their test right. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that's what we see in verses 16 through 19. We see when a testimony uh, becomes a test. Paul, Silas, Luke, Timothy, those are the four guys on this second mission trip, Uh, they're in the city of Philippi. They leave Lydia's house, and they head to a place of prayer, it says in verse 16. Uh, I'm going to assume that maybe that's that Riverside location where they first encountered Lydia and shared the gospel with her, where she trusted Christ as Savior. Um, And as they head there, it says in verse 16 that they encounter uh, a gospel distraction, Verse 16 tells us they met a certain damsel who was possessed with a spirit of divination. According to the Greek word translated damsel there, it's a young lady, probably, maybe not even a teenager yet. Uh, Also in that word damsel, that's often used to indicate that was somebody who was a slave. They were not free. Um, But she was also demon possessed. Literally in, in the original language when it's a spirit of divination, it says in the Greek spirit of pythona. See, the priestess of Delphi in that region, uh, in the idolatrous worship of the mythological uh, small-g god Apollo, uh, she had a python snake that was supposedly there to guard her ability to communicate the message of that god in that false religion. We know that Apollo was nothing more than a fake god. It was a statue made of stone. But um, do you understand that Satan likes to use things like false religions to keep people in bondage? And that is... perfect description of this young lady's life up to this point. From verse 16, we also know that this demon-possessed young lady, uh, she was used by human masters, by human handlers to make them a lot of money by supposedly uh, predicting the future. That's what Seuss saying there in the King James means. And, And verse 17 says that she followed Paul and the rest of this mission team, As they went out to share the gospel, she followed them and she loudly declared, These men are servants of the Most High God that show unto us the way of salvation. She didn't just do this once. Verse 18 tells us that she did this for many days. And her doing so was a problem. It was a distraction to the gospel. Now I want you to consider something this morning because this whole situation has many pertinent applications for us even in our day regarding what she was saying, was she wrong? Not a bit, not at all. Um, Paul and this mission team, they were servants of the one true God. And their entire life mission now as followers of Jesus was to tell everyone they encountered about the way of salvation. So she was 100% correct. Uh, What she was saying wasn't wrong. The problem wasn't in her statement the problem was the source. That's why Paul feels what he feels after she's doing this for days on end. That's why Paul says what he says and does what he does in the rest of verse 18. He tells that demon who's possessing this young lady, in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And the demon did right then and there. Now, why was Paul so annoyed Um, That's the King James word, the the Greek word, uh, deoponethis, it actually means to have an exhausting, depleting grief. So, I don't know, to me that's a little stronger than just annoyed. Um, If what she was saying wasn't incorrect, why was Paul so grieved by her actions and her proclamation? Because it was a distraction to the gospel. Yes, the message was true, but it's not just the message that's important. Um, the method, the manner that the message is communicated, that's just as important. It is. See, Paul was concerned that the people who heard her say these things, they'd associate the life transforming gospel of Jesus Christ with demonic powers. They knew she was demon-possessed. They knew uh, who she supposedly worshipped and her handlers. The gospel does not need that kind of association. It's damaging to the gospel of Jesus Christ, really. You know, I I wish that the powers that be in the Southern Baptist Convention could come to grips with that, that we don't need godless ideologies as tools to share the gospel. Praise the Lord. I think we're seeing a change in that direction. Let's remain faithful. I I wish that many churches today could come to grips with this biblical concept that the method and the manner of delivering a message, that it's just as important as the message itself. I think if they did, we'd be able to distinguish a worship service and a rock concert a lot more easily. I pray that Christians would realize that sharing the gospel message, um, that it's a whole lot more powerful when that message is backed up with a manner of life that gives evidence of the transformation that we're talking about, how life transforming the gospel of Jesus Christ truly is. Church, let's make sure that we, or anything we do, that it's never a distraction to the gospel, amen? Let's look at the gospel's deliverance. In the rest of verse 18 and verse 19, when Paul spoke to that demon, when he commanded him to free this young lady, Paul did so with authority. And not his authority, the authority of Jesus Christ. We have a gospel that delivers. We have a gospel that changes lives. Do you understand that you and I have this same power? Um, Not um, because of anything in us, but because... Uh, of the one whose Holy Spirit resides in us, we have the same power, that same authority that Paul had access to. When the Bible speaks of this Holy Spirit kind of power in the Book of Acts, and we've seen it over and over again now for 16 chapters, and, and I'm sure you're like me, there are times when like, I wish I could experience that hey, in our church this Sunday. We have to remember that this kind of Holy Spirit power, it is not the power to gain worldly wealth. It is not the power to speak gibberish. It is not the power to fall down and flop around on the ground. Holy Spirit power is the gospel power to change lives, to change lives. And we have access to that same power. You and I do. This young lady's life was changed. She was free. (laughs) She was free from that demon who possessed her. She was free from those humans who were exploiting her for profit. Now, obviously, that did not sit too well with them. Uh, They lost a significant revenue source uh, when Jesus freed this young girl. And it's here where Paul and Silas' testimony becomes a test for them. The beginning of verse 19 informs us that when her master saw that their hope of gain, her hope of financial gain, was gone, they caught. Paul and Silas, and they drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers. They did a, a citizen's arrest on Paul and Silas, and they took them to court. And this mission team's testimony was about to become a test of their faith, but we're going to find out in the end that their test becomes a testimony too. Let's look at this test, and it's not just a test of their faith. It's a test of the gospel. How real is it to you? I mean, how real is what you say you believe? And here And in verses 20 to 24, there's a rapid series of events that happen to Paul and Silas. They're accused of being Jews who uh, caused exceeding trouble in the city of Philippi. Paul and Silas are accused of teaching customs that are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe as Romans. And, And honestly, none of that was incorrect. Romans tolerated other religions so long as no evangelization or proselytization was going on. But that's exactly what Jesus commanded his followers to do. And as I was studying this and preparing for this, I, I asked this question of myself. I'd ask you to ask it of yourself this morning. Could you and I be accused of what Paul and Silas are accused of here in our interactions with those in our world and at work? Um, Could we ever be accused of teaching customs not lawful to those in this world to receive or or observe in what we say and by how we live? Could anyone, could anyone accuse us of living so differently? This caused an uproar. Um, We learn in verse 22 that the magistrates, those rulers in the marketplace, they ordered Paul and Silas to be stripped of their clothes. They ordered them to be beaten. Again, in the Greek, the word means to be beaten with wooden rods. And uh, then they're thrown into jail. And the jailer is uh, charged to keep them safely, it says. And he took this order seriously. He, he places them in the innermost prison cell. Uh, I guess what we would call maximum security. And even beyond that, he puts their feet in stocks. I'm sure you've seen these before. I, I know I've got pictures of when I was a kid on vacation, my mom and dad took me to some place where they had these, maybe, um, you know, historic Williamsburg or something like that. And, you know, you got a picture of your feet in stocks and you're smiling. They're not smiling. All right. (laughs) They didn't have the the key to get open. Uh, At this time, stocks actually had multiple holes so that the jailer could inflict really uncomfortable, painful positions for you to be in, all the more so after you had been terribly beaten with rods. Beaten, bloodied, and bruised, um, all for the crime of being guilty of sharing the gospel and delivering this girl from exploitation, Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Silas, I'm sorry, Paul and Silas, Um, They're in maximum security right now. And I, I want you to try to put yourself, they're not wearing shoes, they're in stocks. Put yourself in their stocks this morning. What would you be thinking? What would you do? These men are being put to the test here. Even more than that, the gospel that they proclaim and profess to believe, that's being put to the test. Is what you have in Jesus Christ, is it so real that you would do what verse 25 says that they did? What did they do? We see the gospel's testimony. It says there at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. Now, now you and I, we might just pray, God, deliver us. <laughs> um, we're just doing what you commanded us to do, God. We might pray, get us out of here, Lord. Look how we are suffering for you. But what else does it say there that they did? They sang praises. They sang praises unto God. That's a gospel testimony. Um, I mean, that puts, some, that puts some street cred behind what you profess to believe. I'm sure the other prisoners and the jailer, um, when they heard all that going on, they were probably like, wow, what a couple of nut jobs. And so be it. That's how it ought to be. Uh, it, listen, if your life makes sense... If your responses to trials and tribulations in life if it makes sense to an unbeliever there's a problem. And it says he sang praises unto God. I have no doubt that that was the worship that God most joyfully received. That that kind of praise it was the sweetest to his ear. A song in the middle of suffering. Cuz you know anyone can sing like a bird when everything's going perfectly in life but But when praise happens in pain, in a prison, when there's devotion and distress, all because you have Jesus, and having Jesus is more than enough, Christian, that's when a test becomes a testimony. Please notice what happens next here in verse 26. I don't think it's by accident. It says, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and then everyone's bands (laughs) were loosed. Listen, as a pastor, there's nothing I enjoy more than the study that happens uh, prior to a sermon, whether it's Wednesday night or Sunday morning or Sunday night. Um, It is truly the greatest joy for me. I mean, honestly, every time I'm like, I can't believe I get paid to do this. Um, But there's also times I get really mad when I'm doing it. And I also get convicted. Please realize any dose you get, uh, I've gotten for one or two weeks prior. But you know what gets me mad? Comments in commentaries. Now, we use commentaries because um, look, there's people way more learned than I am about God's Word. I want to make sure that my understanding of it, I want to make a, a check on that and make sure that I deliver uh, God's Word to you properly here. And there's about five or six I consult on a regular basis, uh, all of them from doctrinally sound preachers and teachers. Um, but you know what? Every Almost every one of them, there's one that didn't. Almost every one of them, you know what it said about verse 25? earthquakes are common in this region or modern day earthquake phenomena uh, verify the possibility of this incident that is so stupid (laughs) i mean i have no doubt that this is an earthquake god's word says it was an earthquake that's what god calls it but this is some kind of special earthquake isn't it um i mean it's one that opens jail cell doors It's one that doesn't kill anybody, doesn't harm anybody, but it seems to be pretty specific to loosening bonds or opening stocks and freeing people. What can we remember? What can we learn from this? That our sovereign God is in complete control of this earthquake and its effects. And our sovereign God is in complete control of the test you're going through right now and the mess you're in right now. When Peter is in prison, God sent an angelic messenger earlier in the book of Acts to free him. Here God God uses natural disaster. And what did they do? They stayed. They stayed. That's what verse 27 and 29 tell us that the jailer woke up during this earthquake and all the noise and commotion going on and he saw that it had freed all of the prisoners, knowing that Roman law would mean he was going to be put to death because he lost all these prisoners, he began to take care of that himself. And as he drew his sword, Paul cries out to him, Stop! Hold on! Don't don't do that! Do thyself no harm! We're all here. Now I want you to put yourself once again in Paul and Silas' situation uh, for just a moment. It is entirely possible that this is the fella who beat the daylights out of you earlier with wooden rods. It's definitely the guy who imprisoned you and who put your feet in stocks, probably choosing the most torturous and painful location for them to be in. And God clearly sends an earthquake. He clearly frees you from your bonds. And you stay? You stay? Now, there's no specific reason given why, apart from what we learn is about to happen in the next few verses But I hope you agree that it's reason enough to stay. Paul and Silas care about this guy's soul. I mean, his eternal destination and their ability to impact that, it meant more to them than their own comfort or their own freedom. And in doing so, they chose to live just like Jesus. Listen to how God has Peter described Christ and how Christ's followers are to follow Jesus in situations of suffering. 1 Peter 2, 21 to 23. To this you were called, he's talking to Christians, to this you were called, suffering, because Christ suffered for you, and he left you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth, just like Paul and Silas, he was innocent, maybe just like you, and whatever you're going through, Lord, I can't figure out anything I did wrong to be in this situation. When they hurled their insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate when he suffered. He made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges judgely, justly, God. He entrusted himself to God the Father. That's exactly what Paul and Silas did here. And what about you? I mean, they follow Jesus' example, and that's what turned their test into a testimony. Is that what you want to happen in whatever it is that you're going through? Will you follow Christ? That's what you claim to be, a Christ follower. Will you follow Christ here? Verses 29 and 30 tell us the response of this jailer to this prison praise team who stayed. It says he called for a light and he sprang in and he fell down before Paul and Silas. And he brought uh, them out and he said to them, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And here is where a testimony becomes a triumph. Let's look at the gospel's reception by this jailer. Paul shares the gospel with him. He says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautifully simple? <laughs> I think it's noteworthy what Paul didn't do. He didn't tell this guy to come and meet with him for a six-week Bible study. He didn't tell him that first he needed to apologize for uh, what he had did to them uh, hours earlier. Now in saying "believe on the Lord Jesus Christ," there, there definitely is an inference of repentance there. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, meaning that you're now trusting in Jesus. And, and you're turning uh, from sin and to him as your Lord from here on out. But there's no works given for this guy to do. Just faith alone and God's grace alone to us in Jesus Christ alone. And that's how he was saved. That's how we are saved. Amen? And Paul extends it beyond this jailer. He says, and thy house. Meaning, um, hey, this is for you and this is for your wife and this is for any kids you have at home or anybody else there. It's for anyone. It's for whosoever will. Turn from sin and turn in faith to Jesus. And verse 32 tells us that um, the essential life-transforming tool that you and I are to employ in sharing the gospel and what the Holy Spirit uses to change lives. It says in verse 32, They spoke unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. The gospel message that's in this right here. This is what changes lives. Not me, not you. The Holy Spirit's use of God's word. And do you know what always happens when people turn in faith to Jesus to be saved? There's always gospel results. Um, I want you to see what this now life transformed fellow does in verses 33 and 34. He takes them and he treats their wounds, the wounds that he likely inflicted. And he and the others who are in his house who had trusted in Jesus as Savior, they're baptized. Well, that's a very initial step you should Uh, participate in. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, and you say, I'm going to obey you, you're the Lord of my life, right off the bat, you ought to do what Jesus has commanded you to do and make a profession of that faith through baptism. And he brings them into his house, it says, and he feeds them. It says he rejoices along with the rest in his house who believed. It's so amazing. This jailer went from suicidal fear to um, abounding in joy in just minutes The gospel always has results. We see them right there. And then we learn in verses 35 to 40. uh, I didn't read that section. Let's read it together. It says, And when it was day, the magistrates sent the sergeant, saying, Let those men go. And the keeper of the prison told this saying to Paul, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said unto them, well, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned, being Romans, and have cast us into prison. And now, do they thrust us out privately? No, verily, but let them come themselves and fetch us out. And the sergeants told these words unto the magistrates, and they feared when they had heard that they were Romans. And they came and besought them, and brought them out, and desired them to depart out of the city. And they went out of the prison, and they entered into the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them, and then they departed." So um, we learn in these verses that the magistrates who had imprisoned Paul and Silas, um, they have some kind of change of heart too, not a Jesus change of heart, but something caused them to order their release. And then Paul does something unusual here. He tells them to, why don't you all come and let us out yourselves? Now, Paul's not being spiteful, uh, informing these judges that he and Silas are Roman citizens. Um, putting a little fear of the Lord uh, in them for their previously unlawful actions. As as Roman citizens, Paul and Silas, they should not have had a single thing happen to them without a trial first. They shouldn't have been beaten. They shouldn't have been in prison. And it's likely that Paul does this so that the new, man, this is a baby, young church at Philippi. Lydia in her house. Now this guy so that they would be protected from any situations of similar persecution and suffering as Paul and his mission team head out to other places. It looks like Luke stays here and ministers to them, Uh, maybe as like a pastor for a little while, because we don't see the pronoun we again until chapter 20. And it's there that he joins back with this mission team. And verse 40, he tells us that they return to the church at Lydia's house and Paul and Silas comfort, meaning they strengthen. They, they encourage these new Christians here, including uh, a new guy who works in the jail and his family. They encourage them to continue on in faith in Christ. Do you think their message probably had a little bit more power because of everything that had just happened? Yeah. Listen, if you cannot look back on a point in time in your life when you heard who Jesus is and what he has done for you and you confessed your sins to him in prayer and you told God that you are now trusting in who Jesus is and what he did for you on that cross and in that empty tomb to save you, would you do that now? I mean, right now, like as I'm talking, cry out to God in prayer, ask him to save you, place your faith in Jesus Christ, be born again today. Now let me talk to you, Christian, you who have done this. As I wrote this and as I say this this morning, I have no specific person in mind, but as your pastor, I can look around here, and I know that there are situations of suffering that are going on all across the sanctuary. But what I want to know is what God's Word is asking us this morning. Will you respond like Jesus? Will you respond like Paul and Silas? I mean, do you want your test to become a testimony? The mess that you find yourselves in, do you want God to turn it into a message? I promise you that's why you're going through it. That's what God's word tells us. And I promise you that there is a through. There is a through if you'll take it. God, in His sovereignty and in His goodness, He's either sent this your way or He has allowed it to be a part of your life. He's done that for your good, He's done that for His glory. He wants your test to become a testimony, He wants your mess to become a gospel message. But that can only happen one way. You have to trust him through it. You have to trust him through it. Will you sing his praises in your suffering like they did? There's an evangelist who's now with the Lord named Lester Roloff, and he said sometimes you can praise your way through a situation a lot easier than you can pray your way through it. Will you praise him in your prison? I wonder what's more important to you this morning. Is, is it getting out of the situation or is it God being glorified through it? That someone else who sees you going through it, being faithful, trusting the Lord, praising the Lord all the way through it, them seeing you and them turning to faith in Christ themselves. As Tommy comes to lead us in a time to respond to God's word today, will you tell him this morning that you, you want this whole ordeal to be about that? And, and always the altar's open. If God's moving you, would you come and lay that burden down before him? Tell the Lord, yes, I, I want this test to be a testimony. I want it to be a declaration of your priceless worth to me. That, that Jesus, um, maybe the loudest sermon ever, that, that Jesus, I have you. And because I have you, I have everything. You're my everything. As the Holy Spirit, however he's moved you to respond to God's word today, I just ask that you'd obey